Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Sunday's edition of History Hack. Um, This is slightly exciting and we're going to blow you all away now. So we've been advertising for the last week that we were going to bring on a fantastic Napoleonic historian, Zach White, and talk to you about Sharp because everybody's imaginations were really sparked talking about the program. Um, But then we got our stalking heads on uh, with the result that um, we're joined, hi Zach, by some of the uh, cast so we're going to call this Sharp's Reunion. Alina, are you excited? <laughs> I'm actually really excited. Um, I'm, I, I'm going to stop talking now because I will not stop. <laughs> okay. So we Listen, have... I'm excited. Do you know who that is, everybody? That is Jason Salky joining us. No, none other than Rifleman Harris. Jason, welcome. Thank you for, the, thank you for having me. And... Uh, <laughs> I'd, you may be able to hear a very familiar sounding chuckle in the background because, ladies and gentlemen, we have with us the magnificent Sharp himself, Mr. Sean Bean. Sean, welcome and thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you very much for asking me. And it's uh, nice to hear Jason's voice again. <laughs> we are currently and, uh, uh, <laughs> we're currently batting around trying to see if we can get Darrow O'Malley to drop in and join us as well. Um, but wow, yeah. Zach, are you excited? <laughs> I'm, I can't actually see this happening. Let's jump straight in. Uh, Sean, how did you get the part of Sharp? Uh, I got the part um, because uh, Jason probably knows a little bit more about this than I do. Uh, but I believe that there was a football match uh, in the Crimea when we before I got there, obviously, and uh, I believe Paul McGann was playing football and he. Uh, yeah, you know, I had an unfortunate accident and I think he did his crucial again. I'm not, I'm not sure, but, uh, uh, and it, the, I think they persevered and tried, um, you know, to carry on filming, but it was pretty bad injury. And unfortunately for him, he, uh, he had to pull out and, uh, they, they, they kind of got in contact with me. And, um, I must say that the, the night before I actually flew out to the Crimea that, Paul McGann actually rang me and uh, it was very magnanimous and I thought that was uh, it was a wonderful gesture for him to call me and uh, say good luck with it and uh, watch out for this guy watch out for that guy <laughs> was, was <laughs> Jason on his list was Jason on his list I'll always remember it uh, so thank, thanks Paul <laughs> uh, no Jason wasn't uh, well if he was I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't say <laughs> Jason, Sean's how did you get the part? 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> how, how did I get the part? Yeah. First of all, I'm going to cover the question you asked Bino there. Okay. Sorry, B- Bino is what we used to call Sean. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We, we loved him so much. So, yeah. So, on the first week of our shoot, so I was cast in the part, and I, got, I went out to shoot in August of 1992. Um, and I had known Paul McGann before, just, just personally hanging out. And uh, so it was nice to have him as a friend out there. Um, on the first week, we had, a, we had our first day off. We went to the beach, and I brought along a football. And we decided to play a little game, cast versus crew. By the way, this is all in my new memoir coming out next year. Ha-ha. Um, plug it again, plug it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so anyway, yeah. So, so we're playing yeah. the game, cast versus crew. I think Darrow is in goal. I was there, Michael Mears Cooper, Lyndon per- uh, Davis Perkins, and Paul McGann and myself. And uh, I remember the ball coming in high after the sun. No one was near Paul McGann. He went to take it down on one foot, and his other standing leg went gave way. So we didn't really know what, what it was. We thought, well, what's going on? Didn't... So he went to sit down. We didn't know at all what was going on until the game ended. And we saw that he was in a real bad state with a real, like, ashen look on his face. So we found out. We didn't know he was, had a, a crucial living problem, but we found out he was badly injured. Um, we carried on filming for five weeks, and he kept on re-injuring the oh. knee. And yeah. so Paul one night said, look, I'm going to go home to get this sorted. Because all they've done is wrap up his knee. No no x-ray. There were no MRI scans back then. Blah, blah, blah. All he did was yeah. wrap up his knee and send him back into work, hobbling into work. After six weeks, he said, I'm going home to check it out. Hopefully we'll be back and we'll finish the show. We came back to England. Within three days, my agent called saying, a chap called Sean Bean has taken the part. And I thought, that sounds very good to me. So I was gutted for Paul. but yeah, that that was a great result. So since then, in my research, I found out that quite a few luminaries were uh, were auditioned. Mark McGann, Paul McGann's brother, Sean, Ian yeah. Glenn, Clive Owen, um, Rufus Sewell, lots of big time actors. Uh, and they overlook Sean for some reason. Well, I'm, um, I'm, I like Rufus Sewell, <laughs> but he's too posh. He can't be Rufus Sewell. Yeah. He, but yeah, no, no. But he has a kind of hard look on his face. But of course, there is no one other than Mr. Bean, you know, who could have played it. Not, not Ryan Atkinson. Yeah. Oh. But anyway, so I got the part. I auditioned for it in May of 1992. And I did not hear a peep about it until July of 1992. So I completely forgotten about the job completely. And I got a call out of the blue yeah. saying, hello, you're going to Russia for 16 weeks. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so that's my story so far. On, I want to know from both of you guys, um, do you guys think that they would make so many episodes at the time? Sure. No, I didn't. Um, I think we were, I'm not sure, Jason, but we, we were there to make two or three. I mean, we made three. But the, the second one, which is my least favourite, is called uh, Sharp's Gold. And... Uh, it was a bit of a mishmash that I think for insurance purposes or, or something, but it wasn't a very good, uh, wasn't a very good episode. It was all right, but it wasn't yeah. great. If I can jump in, Sean, um, you, you yeah. were contracted to do two. Sharps, oh, yeah. Rifles and Sharps, oh, Eagle on the oh, first Oh yeah, year. of course. I was yeah. contracted to do ri- Rifles, Eagle and Gold. So when they called yeah. Force Majeure on the project, when uh, Paul gave, gave in, his, his knee gave in, they, they axed, yeah. they were able to ax Gold and it had already been cast with Patrick Malahide 
um, uh, oh. Scottish actor, I forgot his name, uh, Bill, Bill Patterson, lots of great actors. Yeah. So they, they were contracted and, and their wages were decided. That had to, that contract had to be scrapped. So it, when it came around to the third year of Sharp, they put gold in, but yeah. they couldn't do the same script because they'd already paid the actors. Oh. So, so if they oh, wanted to do that script, they would have had to have coughed up double wages for Patterson, Malahai, la, 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 la. Yeah. And so by oh, then, they were, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All in my books. But, but, but they did sharp, we did sharp's gold. Yeah, yeah, no, we, yes, we did sharp's gold, but not the original script based faithfully on the book. Oh. Yeah. They had oh, to add in El Casco right. and the Aztec, Aztec, uh, worshipping, skin flaying, yeah, as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, where I found all those gold goblets in a cave, and I need yes. some brass uh, church candle uh, sticks. I took them home in it. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Did, had either of you read the books? Read yes, the books. yes. Before I started, yeah, and I found them. They, they were the main source of inspiration for me. And I also read a, a book called Rifleman's Handbook. Can you remember that, Jason? It was all no. about Rifleman's Handbook. No. A real rifleman's diary, uh, but not, it was not the recollections. Might be, yeah. Not the recollections uh, of Rifleman Harris. I'm not got it for hand, <laughs> but um, it was, um, it, it, yeah. Uh, but his books, and we actually incorporated some of uh, Bernard's uh, lines in, in, in into the script. Um, so you know, that was always a, a, a reference point for me, and uh, and also other history. And I've always been interested in that period because. Um, you know, I, I think I liked all the costumes and that, so Sharp was really good for me. I liked all that. But I used to be little toy soldiers. You know, uh, well, I didn't make them. They were Airfix. I don't know if you remember Airfix, yeah, the yeah. model company. And I used to paint them um, all the Napoleonic Guard and uh, all the British in humbrol little paints uh, and put a number of big green board with all fuzzy green trees on it and move them about. Uh, so that <laughs> I was interested from quite an early age. It just, that I was think when it, I was about twenty-five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to come out the more we record that you guys just had an absolute blast making this. But let's ask our first question because people have been sending yeah, in their questions too. for Zach, our historian. Oh. Um, and the first one's quite interesting. It says Wellington's duels with Whitehall and politics during the time. The series touches on it briefly, but how significant was all this arguing with the government, and what impact did it have on the campaign? Yeah, so Wellington has an ongoing battle with both the government and with horse guards, which at the time is sort of army headquarters. And he's got genuinely real frustrations. I mean, he needs more men to fight the French because there are about 250,000 French soldiers deployed in Spain at the time. He needs more money to actually pay the troops because they're about six weeks in arrears of pay, which is why they're plundering so much. And he needs supplies to keep the army fed. And it's not until 1812 when the major campaign that he's fighting really starts to begin to sort of to produce some defining victories, that he gets that sort of unequivocal support that he needs from the government. Um, and even the government, even the opposition to the government starts to change tack. And the only way that it can um, criticise the government for having supported Wellington at all is to sort of slate them for not having supported him enough, which doesn't really kind of win them any favours. But I think some of his anger is also kind of bluster. Um, so that he can kind of get a little bit more autonomy, not sort of operationally, um, although early on there are some restrictions that frustrate him, but particularly when it comes to things like discipline. Um, 
it's not until, um, like particularly when it comes to discipline, because it's not until 1812 or 13 that um, he sees murders passed in Parliament that he's been talking about since 1809. So there's definitely a battle there, but I think we have to take some of his frustration with a bit of a pinch of salt, um, because if he was really that angry about um, the things that he, he's constantly um, ranting about in his letters, I think he'd have had the most insanely high blood pressure of anybody. Um, but to be honest, it makes the success of the campaign more remarkable for the fact he's able to keep fighting despite the, the, the challenges that he's facing. Um, guys, with, with reference to the series, um, you had two Wellingtons, didn't you? You had Hugh Fraser, because um, is it the first one refused to go back to the Crimea to film? Basically, yeah. yeah. He got very ill with something called Jardia Lambia, which is like an amoebic dysentery, and he got hit pretty bad. And the company wasn't that good at staying on top of our health issues. And he said, look, I'm not going to go back out there. Thank you very much. Don't blame me. To the you. Crimea. To the Crimea. Yeah. Did either of you... Um, he didn't like wearing the big nose. He didn't like wearing <laughs> the big nose. <laughs> was that fake? Yeah, he, yeah, I think he was bigger than Hill Fraser's. I know that. That's what she said. <laughs> but it, I think it was Hugh that had lots of problems with his nose as well. Oh, but yeah, they both. I guess they both would have. Zach, the Portuguese get little or no mention in the TV series, and a limited amount in the books. Um, is that fair? Well, the makeup artist was Portuguese, Sano. <laughs> There you go. That's the representation <laughs> in the series. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and we shot that. Yeah, I mean, no, sorry, sorry about that. Go, but seriously, yeah, they, they, there isn't uh, a great deal of mention of them, is there? No, no Zach. I mean they feature a bit more prominently in the in the books, but I mean the, the Spanish and the Portuguese were absolutely vital, and quite often they're sort of written out and forgotten. Um, the yeah. Portuguese army was actually retrained by the British. And a third of Wellington's force during the conflict was actually made up of Portuguese troops. Um, at the time, the jury was kind of out about their quality. Some people said, oh, they can fight like tigers. And then somebody else turned around and said, well, they're lazy brutes who've never been known to perform a gallant act. Um, but historians generally agree that the Portuguese soldiers actually only broke in situations when British soldiers would have done exactly the same thing. So a, a really sort of hardcore element of, of Wellington's army. Um, on the Spanish side of things, the army, the Spanish army wasn't as, as good. I mean, there are many problems with morale, supply and training, but it, it kind of came into its own. But what was really crucial was the guerrillas. Um, that's where we get the term guerrilla warfare from. Mm. Some of the guerrillas were just bandits, but others were kind of organized bands doing these sort of hit and run operations. Um, and that's actually the reason why the 250,000 French troops are tied down for so long and they can't combine to kick the British out. Um, so basically the war couldn't have been won without Spanish and Portuguese troops. Um, a question came in about Sharp's honour, um, which is going to be relevant for both Jason and Sean. So it says, could two blokes really have nabbed that much loot in the French baggage train after Vittoria? Bernard Cornwell apparently said in a note at the end of the book that Wellington's boy nicked a million and was stirred into the baggage train. Now, Sean, you didn't do the, the looting because apparently you were chasing the bad guy. But Jason, apparently you did. Yeah. 
I did. I managed to get, yeah, I got a few bits of loot. Um, I think it was stuffed in my hat or in my backpack. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think, I think in the books, what happens in the book? Don't don't we have to, doesn't Sharp get a bit of that loot? I think, yeah, in the books, I think uh, yeah, Sean, yeah. if it was Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was Sharp's gold. <laughs> I think that was a natural reaction for the for the soldiers, though. I mean, in any situation, it tends to be looting. And it's kind of bloodlust rising and the relief. And uh, I think I allowed them a certain amount uh, because uh, maybe Alex knows, you know, uh, could, could be more more um, um, informing about that, but uh, you know, I believe Wellington allowed some of it. Um, it it's hard to control people in, in that desperate situation. I, I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think uh, it's it's age old, isn't it? Looting. Um, how realistic was that scenario, though, in the book? Um, well, I mean, the loot that they gained at Victoria was absolutely vast because. For context, it's the last big battle that's actually fought um, in Spain before all of the French forces effectively got out back to France. And they have in their baggage train almost everything that they've, they've sacked from um, all of the Spanish cities, the royal treasury. So there's a vast amount of wealth. And when they get broken by the British, they just leave it all. They just drop everything and run. Um, so Wellington himself actually got a stack of portraits that had been taken from the royal palaces. And then when he realised, um, he actually tried to send them back and the Spanish king said, no, 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 you, you keep them as a, as a thank you gift. Um, but he was absolutely stealing about the looting because he wanted to use that money to fund the army and solve the, the army's um, financial difficulties. And so some of it was actually recovered from the men and they went absolutely ballistic. And there are accounts of men who, before this point, were really well behaved. They had their bags searched after Victoria. All of the loot was taken away. And after that, they just thought, well, tell with it. I'm just going to steal and, and do whatever I can to make mischief. Sean, this one's for you. Um, someone, yeah. was, uh, a lady wrote in who's really into uh, the uniforms and like the history of the, the costume and everything. And she wants to know, oh, yeah. um, she's asked about the amount of buttons on these bloody uniforms. How much of a mission yeah. was it for X amount uh, of uh, years? Well, I, <laughs> yeah, I had quite a lot of buttons, me. Uh, I think I had more than anybody else. Uh, there must have been about 25. They, did, they were like little silver ball bearings that you fitted into a loop and I had about 25 of them. Uh, and then uh, my belt, well, it's, not a, it's not a belt, is it, Jason? What do you call it, that red thing that goes around? Like a sash, uh, like a sash belt. Looks like a pair of, uh, looks like some curtains with yeah, yeah. tassels on. <laughs> But I mean, that, uh, that's okay just because this, uh, lady Helen, she was a lovely woman, the wardrobe lady, and she, uh, she had to go around me about eight or nine times just to get it on because you have to, that's the way you have to do it. So I ended up putting a little bit of Velcro on that and I just clipped oh, every oh, day. Oh no, cheats, <laughs> that's cheats. the only difference. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, there was also, Sean, the, the matter of your jacket, your first jacket was tailored for Paul McGann. And so oh, it was yeah. really tight on you, and like I had to let it out. It like... was a little tight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I had uh, I had a few. I've got a few at home here. I've got the original, oh, and uh, the, you know that I always wore. And, uh, and I've got a posh one that I wore for like when I went to meet me, the Prince Regent, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And uh, yeah. you know those occasions. But uh, yeah, I've got my sword. I've got my sword here. Uh, Birmingham, Birmingham. Yeah. 
Uh, I, no. <laughs> so, Sean, what you're saying you? essentially is that no, you basically no. took everything that wasn't I, nailed down. I asked for permission. I asked permission. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. I've got my trousers. <laughs> In fact, you know what, Sean? I've got a little. I've got a little video of you negotiating to take your sword with Will the Armorer. On, in oh, Portugal, because yeah, no. that you were no, yeah. negotiating to get the sword then, I think. Because there, really? yeah. there were two swords: the, the broken a... one and the one you get presented yeah. with that the Harper fixes. Oh, that's nice as well. Yeah, I don't mind yeah. it. Don't, but uh, yeah, I, it, Will was a bit strict. Will the armourer was a bit strict. We had a, 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 a smashing chap called Richard Moore, who was like an ensor encyclopedia of the uh, Napoleonic Wars and a lovely guy uh, from yeah. Sheffield actually but uh, yeah. he was a good man uh, and he got killed off at one well he got killed off at one point and he was you know he was very upset about it because it meant that much to him you know that's right he, he, put he, his thought, and soul he thought he was killed off yeah he'd come back didn't he yeah well we just had to say look yeah. you know the people do get injured in sharp and they actually come back sometimes yeah <laughs> like Julian Fellows Julian Fellows. Julian Fellows. <laughs> <laughs> even, like. even Duco in when when we were nicking the the baggage train of Victoria, even Duco was stabbed and killed in the end of that, that episode and he came oh, back. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Dallas, isn't it? Dallas, yeah. Oh, came back in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> but so Julian Fellows yeah. played it at What would Julian Fellows played at um He played Dunn's Captain Dunnett, Major Major Dunnett, Dunnett. in Rifles. And the Prince Regent and then in um, Red died. Yeah, <laughs> died, he didn't he? Uh, and then he come back as the Prince Regent with all his makeup on and beauty spots. Went, oh, darling! <laughs> and he, I think and he preferred that role the most. Yeah. Like, so, yeah. um, and, he had, <laughs> and he had no idea. And he had no idea it was him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. Guys, we had a question come in. Um, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask Zach seriously in a second. Um, someone came in and asked about all of the missions and the tasks that Sharp and his men undertake in the series, um, asking how uh, realistic they were. But Zach, before you come in and tell us, Sean, did you ever look at a script and just think this is just bloody ridiculous? <laughs> or did you just love that it, the like the swashbuckling nature of it? Uh, I loved it. I didn't really, uh, kind of questioned the, the process. I mean, we did have people, we only had one camera on sticks and uh, we had people walking around the back of it and coming back on again and stuff <laughs> like that. Uh, but uh, it, it was uh, it was not something, I mean, in those days, we didn't have any CGI and uh, it, it, everything was real. And I quite, uh, I'm quite proud of that, you know, the fact that it was all real and it was real people and uh, we're all doing our best. And, and I thought we created... Uh, you know, kind of an image of many people. I hope I fell for it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Though, and also, they, uh, I know Sean got the script before me, but we we would get the script like just before the finished script, just before we filmed the episode. You know, because they were working yeah. on it all the time. Yeah. But as as Sean said, there was no CGI. They were really, really scared of injuring Sean because of what happened with Paul McGann. But Sean was was totally gung ho and up for it, uh, and and so was I. So it worked out yeah. really well. And, yeah. and Tom was also great at directing action, and he knew where to take. He knew who to ask. Yeah, he did. What. yeah. So he knew if yeah, it's like tough. Yeah. Brilliant. In fact, there's yeah. a lovely scene I remember um, when Sean uh, when Sharp is captured by Ducot. And he's in jail, and we dress up as French to go and spring 
uh, shark yeah. from the jail. Yeah. And me and John Tams dressed in cover yeah. with a mask. And uh, we bust open the door and Sean, uh, Sharp thinks it's the French. So he attacks us. And of course, I got the shit kicked out of me because yeah. I was the first one. I was the first one through the door. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, Sean, you had me by the throat. I was like, Sean, hey, it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> so all the action was right to the edge. It was it fantastic. Was, I've got yeah. twisted ankles and um, burnt hands and yeah. bad backs, but never nothing too bad. But it, it was mm. all exhilarating stuff and amazing we had good uh, stump guys we had Dinny Powell and Greg Powell so we were in good hands with those those uh, those two you know excellent yeah. and we had great we stuntmen Russian stuntmen too. We great Russian stuntmen fantastic just fearless and brilliant just skilled at horse rides well horse stunts and and bringing a horse down and stuff like that they were uh, they were falling off buildings remember, remember the buildings yeah. they fall off yeah I know incredible yeah, they were, they were indeed. Zach, how accurate are Sharp's adventures in terms of history? Yeah, I mean, I, I've, having heard all this stuff about how realistic the filming was, I, I kind of feel quite bad in saying that, to be honest, the, the novels aren't particularly realistic in terms of the missions that Sharp goes on. I mean, they're a bit like the sort of 19th century equivalent of two power going in behind enemy lines and the reality is that you didn't really get operations like that occasionally you know somebody might be sent out to blow up a bridge or to surprise an enemy unit um, semtex yeah <laughs> he said semtex. with semtex we blew a bridge up with semtex i believe <laughs> we did we did sharp sharp's eagle yeah um, my sharp mug oh that's good isn't it that's yeah. brilliant <laughs> I'll send you one, man. I'll send you one. <laughs> All right. Thank you. <laughs> you could put it with the sword and the candlesticks and everything yeah. else you nicked. Yeah, little shrine. <laughs> <laughs> I've got mine. That? But carry on. Go on, Zach. It's interesting. <laughs> A couple of examples where you do get operations like this. So um, at the Battle of Talavera, which is uh, Sharp Seagull, for those who follow the, the novels but not the battles, um, the French do launch a, a night attack on the British position, and it almost works. They almost kind of get the high ground before they get beaten back. Um, but night operations and things like that, to be honest, you were more likely to just get lost. I mean, there's one account of a night raid where um, a force is sent out to capture an enemy unit that's um, posted in a village, and they see this dark shape in front of them. They think it's the enemy, and they start blazing away with their muskets, hit the dirt until daybreak. And when the sun goes up, they find they've been blowing holes in a stone wall, so, to be honest, <laughs> there isn't as much power as Sean's managed to uh, portray for us. So, Sean, you've mentioned that you read the books to get an idea of Sharp, but did you base um, base the character on anyone else historical that you like? Anything else you'd seen or read that you thought, yeah, I want a bit of that in there? Um, not really, no. Did you mm. have you you had so much material to work from from Cornwell, didn't you, in the books? I think it was that, and 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 doing research, and you know, trying to find out what it was like for a an or, an or, a normal ordinary soldier, which was life was very difficult, you know, compared to the people back in Whitehall and in London who were making uh, all the decisions. Same old story, I suppose, but. <laughs> yeah. uh, 
he, he was just fighting uh, because that there were his orders, uh, and he said, you know, he, yeah, he often philosophised on occasions with, you know, with um, Patrick Harper, you know, Darrow O'Malley's character, and uh, he said, well, it's not for us to say what we what we're doing and that just obeying orders, but it uh, seems wrong sometimes. But uh, I don't think soldiers really question their orders and. Uh, yeah, there were a distinction between the common soldier and uh, and the higher ups, you know, the top brass. Um, but um, yeah, but, but that's where I, I kind of got my I got my uh, information from the books and from uh, soldier, uh, soldiers' diaries and uh, research that kind of thing. Um, it's a bit like looking at the First World War. Nobody quite knew why we were fighting the First World War. You might have yeah. you might have thought some. Someone with uh, intellectual capability like Reifman Harris might have questioned those kind of things, but yeah. I suppose we knew that Napoleon was a bad, bad dude, and he'd taken over the whole of um, Europe, and that Portugal was our biggest, oldest ally, and they were about to. All of, in fact, as all of our trade was about to be cut off, really. That's that's why we had. Yeah, to get sorry, I just wanted to jump in and ask if you've had. Did you have any memoirs that you worked with for your part? Uh, right. Oh, yes. Well, I'm I'm lucky um, in uh, luckier than Sean, because, of course, Sean came to the party a little bit late. So I had two weeks of um, classroom with uh, Richard Moore, the guy uh, Sean just mentioned, our, our military advisor. Um, and he <clears throat> took us through all of the Napoleonic War. I had no idea of Napole- Napoleonic War. I knew Wellington, Napoleon and Waterloo. That's it. Didn't know the date of Waterloo even. I was more interested in World War II. I'd gone to school in America, so I was into Vietnam and the Korea War, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I had no idea. But as soon as I got into Sharp, it was, I, I just got sucked straight in. Yeah. But, but the big thing about um, uh, what captured my imagination was Richard Moore telling us that we were soldiers who could think for ourselves and who could be left to fight on their own. That's why our hair could be a bit longer, our, our, our jackets are a bit ragged, and we are the forerunners of a modern British army, and if you will, like an SAS. So yeah. that really captured my imagination, and yeah. that's how I looked at it. I thought, we are super soldiers, yeah. and, that's, and I'm protecting my buddy next to me and my commander sharp, and that's, yeah. that's, where, that's where it starts. They operated as, a, as, as their own unit, you know, um, smash and grab kind of thing. Yeah, guerrilla warfare, wasn't it? Yeah, I love that element. Yeah, Jason, you're my kind of man if you're into 20th century history. So, <laughs> ah, excellent. Could be a pro- yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an I'm an infant in the no, eyes of no. <laughs> Zach, um, just a couple of things. <laughs> Firstly, um, is there an officer someone wants to know in the Peninsula campaign that does resemble Sharp? And um, we're talking a lot about the role of Sharp's rifles in the program, but what was their role in reality? Sure. I mean, I, I've been scratching my head quite a lot about this, trying to sort of think about if there's one person that, that sort of represents Sharp. And I think probably like a lot of, of good figures in novels, it's sort of a fusion of, of different people. Um, uh, personally, um, or the mirror sometimes puts across back in 2005, they did an article um, that was meant to be a big reveal about, you know, we found the, the equivalent of Sharp and they named Sergeant Ewart of the Scots Grace, who was a cavalry sergeant. Mm. But the only link there is that he was promoted from the ranks and took a French eagle at Waterloo. Mm. Um, and of course, the parallel being that Sharp's captaincy is kind of consolidated around having taken a French eagle um, at Talavera, fictitiously. Um, personally, I prefer 
a comparison with Patrick Masterson, who was an Irishman from the 87th of Royal Irish Fusiliers. He was actually the first person to capture an eagle. He did that at the Battle of Barossa in 1811 um, and got promoted for it up to Ensign and then ended up as a captain. So he managed to stick it out when quite a lot of people couldn't because of the expense of being an officer and the stigma attached to it. Um, it I mean, when you look at sort of the womanizer element, I hope John won't mind me saying that Charp, at least in the novels, is, is a bit of a, a womanizer. Um, August Schaumann um, was a commissary from the German contingent who, if his memoir was to be, be believed, spent half of his time in bed rather than doing what he was actually meant to do. Um, but in not way, a kind of like a comparison with a book called Admiral Sir Home Popham, who seems to have been a bit of a nutter. I mean, he launched this sort of completely unsanctioned raid on Buenos Aires after taking the case of Good Hope, um, as you do, you know. Um, but in 1812, he's deployed to the north coast of Spain with a flotilla, and he spends the summer of 1812 launching diversionary attacks into the north of the country to keep the French in that region occupied. So they spend their time marching up and down the north coast of Spain, sort of trying to march faster than a ship can sail. So in terms of, of trying to find somebody who, who does what Sharp did, if you'd like, he's probably the closest, although obviously with a knighthood, he's, he's not exactly kind of promoted from the ranks. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, I mean, I feel with the 95th Rifles, they have a great press. Um, they're a new unit. They have a new weapon in the form of the rifle rather than the musket. Uh, they look different because they're in green coats rather than the usual red for the British Army. And they have more memoirs than almost any other unit. I mean, we've got uh, Jason here who plays the part of Rifleman Harris. Rifleman Harris was a real person. Um, and they're kind of your, your 19th century snipers in a way. And during the Peninsula War, I mean, they're, they're absolutely dependable. They are a great unit. Um, they're deployed with the Light Division and they're involved in skirmishing activity, sort of picking off enemy skirmishes and officers to try and unsettle uh, the enemy formations as they sort of advance. But I'm going to be a bit controversial here and say that I think their significance has been slightly overplayed. They're still important, but I don't really think that they're quite the be-all and the end-all that we've made out. I mean, Nick Lipscomb makes the point that the rifle as a concept is more of a sort of force multiplier. And I think that's a much better way of thinking about it. They have the special training. Um, the weapon is 
much better than the usual musket. It's lethal at 300 yards rather than the usual 80 yards. But it has drawbacks because it's muzzle-loaded and you get one shot before you have to reload. And the whole point about the rifle is that the bullet is wrapped in leather to allow it to grip the rifling that gives it the spin, that gives it that greater accuracy. And that obviously takes more time to force the bullet down the length of the barrel. So whilst a musket can manage two to three shots a minute, the rifle, to be honest, you'd be lucky to do two to three shots in two minutes if you're loading with the, with the, the leather-wrapped bullet. And in that time, the enemy can kind of close up and kind of outweigh the advantage that you gained. Um, I mean, they also have an impressive service record because they are on the front line throughout um, 1810 when they're observing the French army. There are almost all of the major sieges and battles. But I don't think they're quite this sort of uniquely special band of brothers that we've made out. A lot of the units have really great service records, can be completely relied upon. And when you compare the desertion rates and the chance statistics for the rifles, they're actually slightly worse than um, a number of other units in the army. And I feel really bad kind of saying that very much <laughs> at the moment. I kind of feel like I've ruined the party here. <laughs> boo, Zach, boo. We have Sean and Jason, so we probably won't get hate mail. Maybe you will, but we won't. <laughs> Just send it straight to me. Yeah. The ladies are safe. The ladies are safe. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, how did you find the whole, I'm guessing as an actor, it might have been if you're a single, young, free and single, it might have been quite cool to have all that womanising in the script. Yeah, it wasn't me yet. I wasn't womanising. They they kind of latched onto me, if you uh, <laughs> if you watch it closely. <laughs> so you no, were just I, an I mean, innocent think, man going yeah. about his business. Yeah. Absolutely. I have more important things on my mind. I can attest that Sean is not a womanizer. I can attest that. And the character absolutely is. The <laughs> yeah. character is. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that was, you know, a bit of artistic license there because they needed to get, you know, a kind of, you, you know, a female uh, representation and uh, often represented a little bit cliche, but uh, I guess they had to get Liz Hurley in. <laughs> yeah. That's really, that must have been really hard for you, Sean. <laughs> well, she Pete, is a beautiful lady. Pete Postlethwaite. Um, Pete Postlethwaite, yeah. Pete, Pete a little, sto- little story about Liz. Pete's a little story about Liz before we carry on to Pete. Um, she, when we first met up with Liz, she came onto our floor, the, the lads, me, me um, Linda, and then a couple others, and she looked very worried. And we're saying, what's wrong with her? I said, I don't think Sean Bean fancies me. <laughs> I said, don't worry, darling. He's just like that. He's a quiet lad. Don't worry. Don't worry. We, we all fancy you, though. I fancy you. Don't worry. It's cool. <laughs> Sean, um, what were you going to say about Pete Postlethwaite? Oh, Pete. God bless him. Uh, he, 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 it was so fantastic to have him involved in it. He's an old friend. He was an old friend of mine. I'd worked with him before, and he just brings... Uh, such life and uh, and realism to the part. It's, it's certainly as Obadiah Hicks. Well, he was he uh, was such a, 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 a you know an essential element for us, uh, kind of in the midst of the of the shows and uh, a character that will be missed, and a man that will be missed. Uh, 
I'm sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I also had worked with him before on a play for, for quite a few months. So it was great to have him. In fact, I know I'm, I know I'm blowing my own trumpet a million times during this, this uh, talk, but when we were in the throes of ending the first series, we were up, um, we were up and shooting Sharp's Eagle. And this, there was no guarantee that this was going to be a success. And, and we'd spent a lot of money uh, in an insurance claim. So ITV were miffed at Sharp for, for taking them into the red. And I had read all the books onwards and I uh, sat in the uh, the bus waiting to go up to set with Malcolm Craddock who had a copy of Sharp's Enemy and I said oh you got Sharp's Enemy um you know there's only one actor in the whole world that can play Hazel it's uh, Pete Possethway and he goes okay yeah. yeah so so that summer between Sharp's one and two I got a call from Pete and he said hey Jace I've been offered the pass again so they took my words great how much money shall I ask for I was like well okay um and then we got back on set the following year I said to Malcolm hi Malcolm oh good to see you, you took my advice he goes what are you talking about, Jason? <laughs> <laughs> that was Malcolm. That was Malcolm. Yeah, yeah. I have no idea what you're talking about, Jason. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, what a fantastic character. They were very upset that they killed him off, even though he gets and, killed uh, in the books. Yeah, yeah, I bet they were. So really upset someone has asked, now I fear you guys may have given the impression of being a little bit grubby. Um, <laughs> on set in shop because someone has come in and asked, what, what's the question, Alina? But this is for Zach, isn't it? This one is for Zach, but I'm thinking quite a few ladies are going to want to know the answer to this from Sean. So, no comment. So how often did they get to change clothes and bathe? Yeah. No, we were going to ask you guys as well. We were going to say, um, I I would hate to think that you lot had the same uniform for the entire series run and that you maybe got to change clothes. I suspect Zach's going to say that the the actual guys didn't get to change that often. We crossed a lot of rivers, so uh, we had a bit of soap. You know, I mean, we we did have access to water. I don't think there's a a scene of me actually washing in one. It's a bit of a, you know, what what they call them, gypsy back yeah, they did have a spare. They had a spare uniform for when we had to cross the river or when we got extra muddy. And sometimes yeah. they would. They couldn't really wash our jackets. They were wool. Yeah, wool. You know, you couldn't really do it. But the trousers, I think, did get a little bit of a wash. But he did have a spare pair. But no, it was pretty stinky uh, after a while. Some of it. Yeah. <laughs> In reality, Zach, how does that match up with the reality? To be honest, that sounds pretty similar to the reality of what the troops had at the time. I mean, you could smell an army uh, during this period before you actually saw it. I noticed when um, I was reading the questions for this online that somebody had asked how often they got to change their underwear. And to be honest, they didn't actually have any underwear. Um, So I know the origin of Go Commander is kind of the 70s and the Vietnam War. But perhaps we should really call it sort of going red coat. Um, they only had one uniform. They had a, a spare shirt, but most of the time the troops just sold that off for wine and food because their, their rations were just completely inadequate and they needed something to supplement what they were eating. Um, but that uniform got pretty ragged. I mean, Bernard Cornwell makes the point in his books about how Sharp's troops keep kind of repairing the uniforms with brown cloth. Um, and, and so in that sense, it's another one of those points where he's quite realistic at getting the, the gritty little details right but they were expected to keep kind of vaguely clean. If you didn't keep yourself clean, then you could be flogged for it. Um, although there's a great description of one guy um, who didn't keep himself clean 
And so rather than put him on trial and have him flogged, his mates decided that they were going to get together and dunk him in the horse, horse trough and just scrub him until he was completely clean. And beyond that point, he, he did what he was meant to do. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, that's what they had to do when I got back. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Been away for a long time, Sean. Yeah. Smells <laughs> 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 like it too. <laughs> Let's... Yeah, I, it was. Yeah. Go on, go on, Sean. I mean, we were lucky. We got we got his shirts washed every day, didn't we, and stuff like yeah. that. Well, I did. Yeah. I don't know about you. Oh, yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were clearly special. Yeah. yeah. When it was really hot, I, when it was really hot, I wouldn't wear a shirt. I just button up the um the the tunic. Yeah. So I, yeah. I would let the sweat sort of hit. God, wasn't it hot? Oh. Yeah, and and then after a while, that would kind oh. of cool down. So. And yeah. I would be commando all the time, basically. I would be. Yeah. I'm not joking. I'm not joking. I would commando <laughs> we, we, the whole five series. We went through the whole seasons, really, because we got there in August and it was boiling hot in the Crimea. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, we weren't coming back. We didn't get home till Christmas Eve, so we went through all the winter there and, uh, you know, extreme uh, temperatures. But it was it was good because it was realistic, you know. And Absolutely. We were really uh, making do with things, weren't we, and doing the best we could over there in terms of food and this and that, whatever. And it was kind of gives kind of authenticity to, to what we were doing. Yeah, because yeah. we were we were hungry, you know. We were hungry because the food, yeah. was, although the food was probably okay, you know, looking like back on it, we didn't fancy <laughs> it at all. So, so we lost a bunch yeah. of weight. We were, and it was really hot and sweating. So yeah, yeah, and uh, like we used to get his wife, experience. Yeah, as wives you could send suitcases, didn't they? And food yeah. and uh, I used to have that space food where you get in that like alcon alcan foil, that and aluminium foil in you. <laughs> you boil it or something, and then you eat bacon and eggs and stuff in a in a packet. Yeah. Uh, we're lucky to have the, the dollar shops. Remember the dollar shops up at the Yalta Hotel? Yeah, and you can, you <laughs> can buy you know, Western Western goods. Yeah, no, you had to use dollars yeah. there, not not coupons. <laughs> oh no, we went to the market to get coupons, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. You can use coupons at the market. Yeah. I've got coupons a hammer with a local, local currency. I've got, still got a little hammer at home from a market, and it only cost half a pence. <laughs> every day. <laughs> what do you use it yeah, every day on? <laughs> it's just random. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sorry, what? <laughs> Brilliant. How much come in handy? Yeah. Caviar. Lord. If you've still got tins of it, they might come in handy now. What, the caviar? Yeah, yeah, during the lockdown. <laughs> Any food. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, it's, uh, I mean, I oh, they went years. <laughs> but, but Sean, was, wasn't, wasn't being on lockdown a bit like being on Sharp in the Crimea? A little bit, wasn't it, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, we were all, uh, in, well, we were all housed in a sanatorium, weren't we? Yeah, yeah, uh, and we, we couldn't really, we didn't really, at first we didn't know where to go, we couldn't leave the grounds. Yeah, no. sort of stuck to ourselves. Remember, that was a bit like now, isn't it? It's a bit. It, it, it is, yeah. We were just knew each other, and that was it. We were all, uh, and then we just went off to working. They took us to working for them fans, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> and then we might come back and have a, a, a Every, drink or two, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you make it got, sound like rock and got, roll. 
We only got Sundays off, didn't we? We, we worked right. six days a week, yeah. long hours, and we only got yeah. Sundays off and straight back in again. So, that sounds like me and Alex right now. Yeah, it sounds like us doing this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But but it but it was it was that it was that forced together sort of remoteness that made made sharp. I mean, it, it, and, exactly. and the starving, of course, and the starving and the the dirty yeah, clothes yeah. and the shitty food and the illness. <laughs> and the illness. I remember John, John Tams who suffered uh, greatly from that. And uh, hello, John, if you're listening to this, me old mucker. Yes, hi, <laughs> Good old friend of mine. And, um, we had some brilliant times together. Absolutely. John, so I just want to mention him. He's uh, Great yeah, John, yeah, John Tams. John Tams is, is instrumental because, you know, on the first sharp, on the first sharp, they were a few minutes short for a scene and he wrote the scene where I say, I can read, sir. I'm a courtier to my yeah. Lord Bacchus and I'm, re-. John wrote that whole scene. So he was brilliant he with dialogue. Way. Yeah. And music, of course. I mean, of course. Well, yeah. All the music. So John Tams is, is, is integral to, to the whole sharp. Yeah. You can take you can take me out easily, no worries. But not Hagman, no way. Oh, that's not legend. true, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Zach, um, I think Zach is massively impressed by how realistic your experience of the Napoleonic Wars was in filming by the sounds of it. But Zach, Alina, her dad has got a question for you. Yeah, my dad's actually been messaging me the whole time going, oh my God, please put this question in for me because um, obviously we're, we're Polish. So obviously I'm going to bring up a Polish question right now. <laughs> Uh, so he asks, were the Polish Lancers much of a threat to Wellington's troops? Oh, blimey. Um, to be honest, that's one thing I wasn't actually ready for. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, the Polish Lancers, they're, they're not a big issue for Wellington. And I think actually that's probably true of cavalry generally. Wellington wanted more cavalry but then he wanted more of everything um and he manages to make do with what he's got he's never sort of massively worried particularly during the peninsula war i mean waterloo is a little bit different um because cavalry plays a much more kind of central role in in a particular phase of waterloo where you have uh, a british cavalry charge that gets too carried away goes too far and then gets cut off by um french cavalry including some lancers but that's kind of an isolated incident um, and I think, to be honest, Wellington's more concerned with the fact that the British cavalry is reckless. So if anything is keeping him awake at night, it's not the Polish lances. It's just the fact that he can't trust his own horsemen to kind of rein themselves in. Cool. Um, right. Let's just end with some some questions for the, you two guys about the series. Um, if we do uh, just take it in turn. So, um Sean, you already mentioned that the episode that your least was your least favourite to make and maybe watch back. I don't know if you watch yourself. Is Sharp's Gold? Why is that? Uh, it was. Um, I just thought it was a bit of a mishmash, really. Uh, it was. Um, I had too many girlfriends in it for a start, and, uh, <laughs> and it all became a little bit of a like um, what they call a Barbara. Mills and Boone kind of <laughs> a bit, bit blousy episode, and uh, and so you know I wouldn't say I, I, I still think we did a good job, but uh, I, I think it was as Jason was mentioning the the, the the insurance that they had to cobble something together, so it kind of suffered the artistic most of that. But um, I, I, you know that that's uh, that's that, and we went on to do uh, much much better things. You know. you know what else I found out, Sean? Yeah. About about who wrote who wrote the the new script of gold? 
the guy called Nigel yeah. Neal. Nigel Neal. Yeah. You, do you know what else yeah. he wrote? Do you know what else he wrote? No. He wrote the Quatermass stories. He's oh. obviously a very old dude. So no wonder with gold yeah. was a weird, weird, spooky kind of story. Yeah, he wrote Quatermass. strange one. Yeah, and he also yeah. wrote one of the Halloween Halloween scripts. So he was a ho- kind of horror, a freaky horror writer. Yeah, yes, yes. Uh, that's why I had that flavor. I suppose he had a hard job to do, you know. I mean, they'd given a, given a, you know, they said get this together and do this and do that. So he probably had his hands tied to some extent. Yeah, yeah. Sean, um, what was your favourite episode? Uh, I think Sharp's Rifles was my favourite. He's so raw and uh, and and rugged and uh, cold, uh, and it's quite violent. And uh, I, th- I thought that was one of the most realistic episodes. And uh, and I like Sharp's Battle as well. Um, I thought that was great. That was the the, the siege of Badenhof, I believe. And, uh, Badenhof was company. Yeah. Oh, battle. Uh, yeah, that's it. Sharp. I like Sharp's battle. I don't know. Uh, but I like Sharp's company was uh, was a good one, wasn't it? It was written by um, you know quite an old guy who was a famous writer. He wrote Waterloo, didn't he? Did he write a film? Uh, yeah, Char- Charles Crichton. Was it? Yeah, Charlie Crichton. Yeah, but I thought that that that, that one was great with the siege of Badenhof, because that was cold and we were shooting nights for like three, four weeks in a row, and uh, it was just a war of attrition <laughs> to get through it. The thing, the boom up fell down the the, the hole. Remember, injured his shoulder. Do you remember? Oh, sins. Yeah. yeah. He, he, oh. Last night he fell down the the breach and uh, did yeah. his shoulder. Yeah, but a company. I I also love rifles and eagle, and and I love those early first two series. Yeah. When there are lots of chosen men together running around, but definitely rifles is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So, gentlemen, how important has your role been in terms of your careers? Well, it's been, uh, you know, it was very important for me and it was uh, something I didn't really know much about. I mean, I didn't really know about Sharp and I knew a little bit about Australia, you know, a small amount, not so much. I mean, uh, that, that kind of, I, I wasn't quite sure of the premise at first and I don't think I was sure until I got to, on the plane with Jason and Paul. <laughs> 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 what it was all about. Yeah, then we got to the crime here and uh, it was dark, but it looked like the French Riviera when you first arrived. But uh, I mean, it's a bit, it was a bit dilapidated at the time. It's a lovely place now. but uh, and, and I guess it was then in some ways. But um, I, uh, it had, a, um, of course, a positive effect on my career and I wouldn't have missed it for the world. When I look back at it on hindsight, I think about it quite a lot. And I think about all the people that were involved in what wonder what they're doing now and you know it's, it's a long time ago you know 1992 uh, and uh, you know I have very very fond memories and it, and it, it just it, it kind of made you grow up a bit in those conditions and under that kind of you know um, pressure uh, to get things right and to survive and, and to live uh, you know sensibly in uh, those conditions uh, you know, it teaches you to grow up and it uh, maybe self-sufficient in a way because you're looking at yourself, you look at others around you. And, uh, and, and in terms of my career, it did me 
it was a good uh, it was a good time I see how you get the parts and uh, you know some other soldiers <laughs> so uh, but uh, I look back on it and I, and, I, and I absolutely loved it and I loved the company I was with you know so I wouldn't have missed it for the world Jason yeah no I mean I mean I'm I'm possibly the richest man to come out of Sharp because I have a wife and my our son was generated on Sharp so in many ways I, I have I have that um, I'll have to say that it's been terrible for my career though but that's that can happen to an actor regardless you know, but regardless. you're not married to Liz um, Hurley are you <laughs> I am not. I am not. I'm married to a much more beautiful woman than that. Yeah. Uh, she's the most beautiful girl in Yalta. Her name's Natasha. Yeah. She she's was a. Great. She was an. Yeah. Thank you, Sean. She was an interpreter yeah. on the on the show, and uh, she was, was on all three years of, of the Crimea. And then she also came out to be with us. But I, you know, I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't go back to and change a thing. You know about Charles. I know it's it's and, and you know I'm I'm kind of an ambassador for Sharp as I am now because I have uh, yeah you know diaries I've written a book so I, I'm not ever going to complain about what's happened to me since Sharp but uh, that's kind of how it is yeah but I think everything you do is great and and okay, I've been you. meaning I saw when this came up and they told me you were going to be on I think great because you keep, you do a great job it's uh, it's 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 riveting and it and it's really brings back memories fantastic memories so. Well done. Fantastic, man. I'm so happy you said that. that. That makes me feel really great. Yeah. Fantastic. Great. Oh, Anyways, really Alex, nice thank you for indulging me. <laughs> okay. Is, I'm, I'm yeah. almost welling up. I'm almost welling up. I'm so, <laughs> so hard. Such a hard man. So, but for a football game, we might not have been here. Speaking of football, Sean, well done Sheffield United this season. No matter what happens with this, they've been excellent, haven't they? Yes, yes, they they really have. We've got a fantastic manager in Chris Wilder, the Messiah, and uh, <laughs> he's uh, you know we seem to have got it together. So we've done amazing. Very proud. Sean, this is a really unprofessional request, yeah. but would you be so kind as to say hello to my mum Louise and Alina's mum Sophia before they disown us? Hi, Sophia and Louise. God, they're oh, good. My mum is going to be so happy. My mum's probably shrieking <laughs> in the next lot. room. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, and I did have, and I can, I can oh, edit yeah. this out if you don't want to do it, but my co-author on my war books, um, I don't know if you know, but it's a thing on YouTube. There's all these compilations of you saying the word bastard in your fantastic accent. And he said, could I get you to say oh, it? Oh, yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> bastard oh that'll do brilliant <laughs> there you go Holmes yeah he just that was the only thing he wanted no intelligent question no nothing can you yeah. get him to say bastard, <laughs> bastard. <laughs> thank you so much for joining bastard. us guys it's been an absolute blast reliving uh, sharp with pleasure you. my pleasure and thank but you so I, much Gone. I just want to say just just wanted to mention uh, our director Tom Clegg, who died some years ago. It was uh, it was a fantastic guy, wasn't he, Jason? And absolutely for him, I don't think we got through it. And the same goes for Muir, who died recently, and uh, and Malcolm Craddock. So it was a it was a sad time for the last couple of years with uh, all the main guys dying. Who put it all together in there? So uh, my condolences and. 
Eldris the Souls, you know. And they've left you something to be completely proud of, though, and, and looking at the reaction of people yes, that we invited um, them to ask us questions about the series. People still love it, so they really have left, left us a lasting legacy, as have yeah, you. Legacy. And, yeah, yeah, they really are. And thank you so much, Zach, they, they, as well. They were determined, man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Sean, if I can just add this in, I don't know if you're aware of this, but I was at a talk a couple of years ago that Bernard Cornwell gave, and one of the questions he was asked afterwards was about um, kind of the voices that he had in his head. Um, and one, he said, amongst other things, that you were kind of perfect for the role, and it changed how he heard Sharp's voice when he wrote the later novels, because originally he was a Londoner. Um, but in effect, you guys sort of shaped the later novels because now when he writes or when he thinks about Sharp, he always hears a Yorkshire accent. Yeah, because it was quite a big jump, you know, from a East End Cockney to a gritty Yorkshire man. Oh, it works <laughs> as a gritty Yorkshire man. He, he, he went with it and uh, bloody, uh, bloody adapted it. <laughs> <laughs> you are the grittiest of Yorkshiremen, Sean. <laughs> Oh, oh, why thank you. Can I ask you? Can I ask you one question? Why weren't you in the full Monty? Because that yeah. was made for you. Uh, yeah, I was. It was set in was Sheffield. Oh, they must I know. have. Good looking. He's too good looking for it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They needed ugly mugs for it, not Sean. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. At least Robbie was. Carlisle wears a blade shirt. Yeah, that's true. The right thing there, isn't it? He's got his, uh, <laughs> his head screwed on in that court. I <laughs> do love Robert Carlyle. He's awesome. His accents yeah. are awesome, but he's not Sean Bean as a Yorkshireman. Yeah. Do you remember when I wore the blade shirt, Sean, when in the FA Cup at the, at the Heights, at the pub, at the Muswell Hill Heights? Oh, yeah. And you got me yeah, to wear a Sheffield, Sheffield top. The only time ever. Yeah. Yeah, but no, that's well, great. We were just actually talking on uh, football history the other day about Sheffield United battering us in the FA Cup final in 1915, 3-0. 15, yes. And then yeah. they, and then we didn't, did we, did we steal Fatty Folks and all, or did, did he go to them after us? Oh, I can't Stole the big goalkeeper. Well, no, we had Fatty Folks uh, for quite First. a few years and uh, then he went to Chelsea. Yeah. That's right, okay. I've so got his, got- I've got his cup. I've got his shirt, mate. Wow. His goalkeeper shirt. Wow. And it's massive. It's like a ten. Honestly, it's that big. And I've got his uh, FA Cup winners medal. No. Oh, and wow. I've owned some, you know. Uh, so maybe Chelsea are interested. Very good. <laughs> a lot of money, that, though. Can you, your boss? We'll talk to Roman Abramovich. Yeah. <laughs> word, got, yes. got a few, Bob, yeah. <laughs> Have a few words in Russian. Yeah, I wouldn't sell them. I know. Jason, you're in London, is that right? And how are you coping with being locked down? Um, it's it's fine. Um, we, I lucky I've got a garden, and my street is deserted. It's like a cul-de-sac, so I can go out there. But I also have to um, I have to take my mum for walks because she's 85 and she has dementia. So I have to go out and take her for walks. So I'm I'm actually all over the place really. But I wear a mask and gloves when I do it. And Sean, how's everybody there? All healthy? All oh, right, uh, touch wood, yeah. Yeah, you know, we kind of keep into ourselves, not really going out at all. And uh, I, I go in the garden, you know, I've got quite a big garden, so I spend a lot of time in there. And, you know, so we just uh, pass along, play with my soldiers and things like that in the cellar. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, we hope very soon to bring you uh, a second Sharps reunion um, involving all of the or the chosen men or as many of them as we can get a hold of. Um, so stay tuned for that. Uh, we also do now have confirmation that we will be in- interviewing Johan Grufnid, uh, Hornblower, 
about that series um and there's some more exciting stuff to come on that soon uh tomorrow join us to hear ian mcgregor talking about his book checkpoint charlie and the building and the destruction of the berlin wall and where it fits into history it's a really interesting uh interview um until then stay safe if you possibly can stay at home this is nighthawk signing off when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers and if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.